We're going to start with a little uh, fun this morning, and then I guess the rest of it's just going to be torture. Um, so I need a show of hands, okay, all participants, even the balcony people, right? I want you guys in on this with us. So just uh, let's see how diverse our crowd is this morning. So let's just go first with uh, just the introverts. Who are the introverts in the room this morning? Raise your hand. All right. How about the extroverts? That would be me. Yes. All right. Um, morning people. Let's see the night owls. Sickos. <laughs> Nothing good happens at night. How many people here are, would you consider yourself a vegetable lover? How many people are like, nah, like french fries, bro? That's my vegetable, right? Yes. All right, let's go music here. Country. You prefer country. All right. How about rock and roll? Okay. Any hip-hop, R&B? We'll kind of throw that all into the mix. Okay. Alternative, anyone? Yeah, a little edgy people over there. There you go. All right, let's do this. Cat people. Visceral. There was a visceral reaction from, I'm assuming, the dog people. Hands. Yes. All right. Who are the no pet people? Oh, man. Of course. Kelsey. Yeah. All right. How about the people that like to be early? That's me. Wow. Okay. How about the on-time people? And who are the late people? You people. All right. All right. So... Pretty diverse crowd here, and we haven't even gotten into really like people's opinions on anything. That was just kind of like life perspectives, like how you go about your day and some of your, your preferences. And I spent a lot of my life trying to figure out why did people not see the world the way I did? Because my way just seemed to work so well. I mean, it was so efficient and, you know, reliable, logical. It just seemed right, you know? And when we have that kind of perspective on the world, we spend a lot of time trying to convince other people why they're wrong <laughs> and trying to fix their broken way of thinking. And as you can imagine, that way of operating leads to like an avalanche of unloving thoughts and actions towards others. Scripture is clear that every one of us was created in the image of God every diverse one of us here today. And one thing I'm learning as I get older is how complex God is. When you look at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, you see a guy that just expressed this full range of emotions. Right? You read, and sometimes he's like yelling at the Pharisees and like going into the temple and flipping tables. Other times he's standing before his accusers Silent as a lamb. Sometimes he moves towards the crowd. Other times he retreats from the crowd and goes off to solitary places to be alone. Sometimes he's playing with kids and weeping over broken humanity. He's filled with compassion for the lost and the hurting and the marginalized. Sometimes he's incredibly patient. Other times it seems like he's losing his mind with the stupid questions the disciples keep asking. <laughs> 
Some days are filled with tremendous flurry of activity that, that seems, as you're reading it, like this is just a breakneck pace that he's keeping up. Other days, he's taking his own sweet time, like when, he's, when he hears that his friend Lazarus is on his deathbed and he's got to travel a couple days to Bethany, he's just taking his time. No hurry at all. <laughs> Some days it seems like he would agree with my way of living and viewing the world. And other times it seems like we've got nothing in common <laughs> about how we operate. I want to share with you uh, just this little story from a book that I thought was interesting. It says, every semester, Scott McKnight, a professor of religious studies at North Park College in Chicago, gives his student a test, his students a test on the first day of his Jesus class. The test begins with a series of questions about what the students think Jesus is like. Is he moody? Does he get nervous? Is he the life of the party or an introvert? The 24 questions are then followed by a second set with slightly altered language in which the students answer questions about their own personalities. McKnight is not the only one who has administered this exam. It has been field tested by other professionals as well. But the results are remarkably consistent. Everyone thinks Jesus is just like them. McKnight added, the test results also suggest that even though we like to think we are becoming more like Jesus, the reverse is probably more the case. We try to make Jesus like ourselves. McKnight's personality questionnaire confirms what the French philosopher Voltaire said three centuries ago. If God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is a reflection of the fullness of God. He possesses the full spectrum of all the different qualities of human uniqueness. And say what you want about the Enneagram. Some people like it, some people don't. But one thing that's done for me is given me language for the complexity of the human personality. In this sanctuary today... <laughs> We have perfectionists and nurturers and competitive and driven people and artistic, emotional people and, and critics and skeptics and loyalists and life of the party people and defenders and challenging people and peacemakers and people that tend to have aggressive personalities and people who are more timid or kind of laid back and, and everything in between. And here's the thing, guys, is that all of those different qualities that we all possess are all we find in the person and character of God. They're all God-imagined, God-given personality traits. And God creates this kind of rich tapestry of human personality and preferences, and then he throws us into various forms of community, into our families, into our classmates, our coworkers, the teams that we've been on, and relevant to us this morning, the church and specifically the church he throws us together and then he commands us to be unified and to love one another deeply and his life has shown us that is an incredibly challenging task maybe that's why paul started his famous love is passage in first corinthians 13 with what word love is what patient right right out of the gate Love is patient, and then he follows it up with love is kind, right? Learning to love one another is going to require an unbelievable amount of patience 
and kindness to try to live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, most of whom are not like us. One of the aspects of The Chosen, if you've been watching that series that I've really enjoyed, is just kind of looking at the the complexity of the relationships of the 12 disciples, right? Jesus goes and grabs these guys that are really diverse um, and throws them all together to see if they could be the first kind of test group of developing unity in Christ. And amongst those guys, you've got some brash and arrogant types. You've got guys that are a little more quiet and timid. You've got folks that are revolutionaries, right, that are carrying knives around, ready to start the revolution. You've got people that were collaborators with the Romans. You've got quiet guys, loud guys, rich guys, poor guys. And I love how the series displays kind of the tension that they must have experienced with one another, especially in the beginning. And I, and, and I, I love how... Um, I mean, even as you're watching, it's like, man, I think some of these guys really hated each other, <laughs> right? And, and I'm sure there had to be conversations with Jesus of like, why did you pick that guy? I mean, me, I can see, but him? Come on. But then we get to see this slow evolution towards true community as they're impacted by Jesus' teaching and his example, and then as they're partnered up if you've seen that episode two by two, right, with maybe guys they wouldn't have picked and sent out to do ministry together and to preach the gospel, and you see this softening, and I don't want to ruin too much for you, but like before they head out, like one of the most powerful scenes for me is when they gather up and put their arms around each other and pray for each other. Like that was like the most unified that they were as they're heading out together. It's just like, man. And you see this softening and this burgeoning appreciation for their different gifts and their different backgrounds and life experiences and how they're all needed. <laughs> Learning to love one another and to see the, the beauty in each person who reflects the character of God as a process that requires a lot of daily choices <laughs> to die to our desire for people to just be easy or to just be like us. Right? In the last few weeks, we've talked about some hindrances to loving people well. We started with this, this idea that it, a lot of times it begins with loving ourselves, right? That we can't give away to others what we haven't first received from God that we feel that we're worthy enough to be loved by him and cared for by him, right? And then these past few weeks, we've talked about things like pride and comfort and a scarcity mentality, and how they can all get in the way of our willingness to enter into the arena of learning to love and to carry one another's burdens. And today I want to get a little bit more practical. So we're going to open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, way in the back. It's page 1730 in the Pew Bibles. 1730. 1 Peter 3, we're going to look at verse 8 through 12. Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing 
For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter is writing to a collection of churches kind of scattered throughout the Middle East and the Mediterranean region. And he calls God's people to be certain things. So the first thing that I notice is that these, these are commands. These aren't optional statements. This isn't something we do if we kind of feel like doing it. Peter says that being a follower of Christ and a part of a body of believers is to be these things, like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. So let's start at the top, like-minded, okay? He's calling for unity here, not uniformity, okay? We're called to have the same mindset or the same attitude, not to be the same. And Paul described that mindset well in Philippians 2. I'd love for you to hold your finger there and flip over to Philippians 2 real quick. It's page 1672. Paul says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. And look to your, uh, and not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have the same mindset as Christ. Humble and self-sacrificial. We all had a lot of different opinions earlier, right? Different perspectives, preferences. But hopefully our mindsets are the same. Right, we need to be unified on certain non-essentials of the gospel, which is why we've been reciting the Apostles' Creed together this year just to remind everybody, hey, we all believe these things, right? no matter how different our personalities might be. I love that old quote by Augustine. It says this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Right? We have to be unified around certain things that we believe as followers of Christ. Okay? There's some other things that we can have some differences of opinions on, and it's okay. But in all things, we need to do it with this humble, kind, you know, sympathetic, compassionate spirit of charity with, with each other. But we need to have the same mindset about as the way we reflect Jesus no matter how we're wired or what our personality is. There's a way to be like him. And it's this, it's to be 
sympathetic, which means to feel with people. It's to be compassionate, which means to feel for people. And if you just look at sympathy and compassion, those are deeply relational dimensions. And I really feel like the only way that you can get to those places in a relationship with another person is if you know some things about their story. You got to know their life. (laughs) What have they been through? How have they been wounded? What have they overcome? How does their personality affect the way they cope with the hand life dealt them? And how has that then affected the way that they perceive God, themselves, and others? Those are all key questions we need to be engaging in with some intimate allies here at Wellspring. You're not going to be able to have those kinds of relationships with 300 adults here. But is your circle of people that you have that kind of connection with growing over time? And will we allow those questions to be asked of us? Or could we also maybe just offer our story to other people so they don't have to pry it out of us? Right? It's no surprise to many of you that I am a competitive, driven, intense person. Right, Jake Barr? He ran cross country for me. He knows, right? Especially in my younger days, um, as a kid, as a teenager, um, you know, that personality type kind of reared its ugly head in my life on a daily basis. It was just second nature to me. And that way of being helped me navigate some of the challenges that I faced in the early part of my life, living in a broken home where we moved around a lot and I was constantly facing new schools, trying to make new friends year after year for a while there. And each new social situation that I was thrust into, I was trying to kind of prove myself and to be accepted. And sports was that ticket for me. And so if you were a, a friend in the class that helped me win, then I was probably pretty, pretty good buddies with you. If you really weren't considered <laughs> interested in helping me win at recess, then I probably didn't really have much time for you. I would imagine that to a lot of folks, that made me kind of a tyrant <laughs> and honestly, a, probably a jerk a lot of the time. But if you took the time to know my story, it would hopefully create some sympathy and some compassion for some of the things that I was trying to overcome. And I think it's important for us to remember this too, is that we didn't choose our personality, nor did we choose the life circumstances that were handed to us, the family that we were born into and whatever was going on in the world of the adults around us. We were all doing the best we could to navigate those things with the tools that we had at the time. And the people who have taken the time to lovingly pursue me and have become curious about my life in a way that made me feel safe and pursued and loved despite all of my imperfections, which believe me, I'm aware of a lot of those things, are the people who have earned the right to confront me about my sin. And their kindness, like God's, has led me to repentance in many of those areas that are kind of the the shadow side of my personality. So those are the benefits of sympathy and compassion. 
and community. Next, he says to love one another. Some translations there, they, they have brotherly love or love as brothers, okay, which is in Greek, there's different forms of love. This is the filio version of love, and it's describing family affection. And so do we walk into the doors of Wellspring every week with this mindset that we are walking into a family gathering? It might be a dysfunctional family reunion, <laughs> but it's family nonetheless, or is this a group of people that can be easily discarded if things don't go our way? Those are two very different mindsets, aren't they? Because family, most of the time, you're kind of stuck with, and you got to figure out how to make it work, right? And finally, be humble. Have a lowly mindset. Like Paul wrote in there, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Is that the posture that we put on? Even with people who have different personalities than us, different opinions than us, personalities that we don't prefer, folks that rub us kind of wrong. As I've mentioned before up here, I've, it's, it's been a humbling journey for me as I've been in a small group with a group of guys uh, that have been meeting about every other week for about seven years now. And there's eight guys in there, and I was kind of thinking through the different personalities, and I think I could safely say there's about six different personality types among those eight guys. It's diverse, and in my flesh, I can get really frustrated with some of those guys sometimes in the way that, that they just operate, the way they live their life, or the perspective they have on things. But guess what I learned? I'm difficult. Shocker, right? It's hard for people to de deal with the way that I operate, too. And, like, to be honest with you, I'd never considered that <laughs> up until just a few years ago. I know you're all thinking, what an arrogant. <laughs> and so we all need humility or else unity and, and like-mindedness will never have a chance. And when I look at those things in, in verse 8, back to 1 Peter, what jumps out to me is that those qualities are not natural for me. Like none of them. In, in my flesh, my, my natural tendency is to be arrogant, is to be harsh, is to be kind of individualistic, not compassionate and sympathetic and like-minded and humble. <laughs> And so I need to be totally reworked and desperately transformed by God. And I need to learn from my brothers and sisters who come by those qualities more easily. The people who are more naturally sympathetic and humble and compassionate. Like, I need to spend time with those people. I need to learn how they go about life. But we also need to remember this, guys. That in Christ, we are new creations. That the truth is, is that I am all of those things now in Christ. I just have to learn how to live with these new garments that, that God has put on me. He's clothed me with compassion and sympathy. I just got to figure out how to live like that's true and believe it. So there's hope for me, right? But everything mentioned in verse 8 is all inside-oriented. 
things that need to be worked out and navigated in our hearts so that we can live out the commands that we see following in verses 9 through 12. Loving others will only, uh, well, has to begin with a heart change in us first. So Peter mentions several things that will happen as this internal change takes place or takes hold in our life. One of those things is repentance. Verse 11 says this, we will turn from evil and do good. So we'll turn from whatever that might be in us, a, a, a spirit of division, maybe it's pride, uh, a lacking of sympathy and compassion for others, and we'll rightly see those qualities as sinful and bring them before God to be redeemed. So hopefully that leads us to repentance. Secondly, we will resort to Christ. I want you to look back at chapter 2. So 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He made a way for us to live differently, but it came at great personal cost. And that humbles me. How does living in that truth, of the truth of, of verse 24 there, affect the way that we see our brothers and sisters in Christ? So look at verse 24 again. How does living in that truth affect the way that we see our brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay, yeah, that's good. What else? Whose sins did he bear on the cross? Ours, right? He didn't just go to the cross for Lana. Or Randy, Randy's squared, right? Right there next to each other. He bore the sins of all of us, every one of us, right? So that should put us on a level playing field with everybody else, no matter what our personalities are like or our opinions are like or our preferences are like or how we vote or where we live or anything, Equal need of grace. Every single one of us. And so who am I to be proud? Who am I to hold a grudge? Who am I to judge somebody else or compare myself to someone else as better than? Thirdly, we make a request of God. Verse 12 says that as Ears are attentive to our prayers. So when we recognize our lack in one of those qualities, we come to him and we say, God, you're going to have to help me here. I have this natural rebellious tendency that doesn't yield itself to like-mindedness very much. Or I'm proud or whatever it is. 
things that we know we can't do in our own strength. And finally, we resolve to do the outward behavior, even as our inward transformation is slow in coming. We resolve to do what we know the right thing is. And how do we do that? Well, in verse 11, it kind of gives us a clue. It says, by seeking peace and pursuing it. By seeking peace and pursuing it. What's the opposite of that posture? What's the opposite of seeking peace and pursuing it? Yeah. Yeah, having strife and quarreling with other people. Creating chaos, is that what you said? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seeking our own gain and glory, right? Pers avoiding people, right? You can't have peace with people that you avoid. This is an active call to move towards folks, <laughs> particularly those with different personalities, perspectives, and opinions. Guys, listen, here's the deal. Those are often the people from whom we learn the most about God. You ever notice that? I don't learn much about God when I'm hanging around with people who are like me. Because it just becomes this kind of echo chamber of a bunch of people that see the world the same way. And we just pat each other on the back at how awesome we are that we get it right and other people don't. It's when I get around those that frustrate me the most that I learn the most about God. Because I love these people, <laughs> I learn to love the aspects of God that they live out naturally. Patient people, <laughs> which I'm not, <laughs> teach me about God's willingness to slow down and just relax sometimes. <laughs> People more readily in touch with their emotions teach me about God's compassionate and tender heart in ways that I don't get naturally. And the list goes on. <laughs> and as much as my competitive, driven, driven, challenging nature might annoy you, there are things about God that you can learn from hanging out with me. We all have something to offer one another. Learning to love others well requires a tremendous amount of humility. It involves learning to appreciate and value those who see the world differently, who act in ways that sometimes confound us. <laughs> but because we believe in the beauty of a big and multifaceted God, we understand that we need that broad spectrum of personalities. How are we doing there, sweetie? We understand that we need that broad spectrum of personalities to challenge us to embrace those parts of God that seem the most foreign to us. I want you guys to listen to this, okay? I know, bring it in here, okay? Each person that walks through the doors of our church on Sunday morning has something to teach us about God. Isn't that a beautiful perspective? every person so I want to ask you some questions who have you been avoiding 
because they're so different than you that you need to humbly apologize to and get to know. And I just want to kind of lift up my friend Brent because Brent's been on this journey the last couple of years now of going up to some folks that he's had some kind of preconceived notions about or maybe just really operated very differently from him that, that just made it hard for him to know how to navigate those relationships. And so he created maybe some assumptions about them. And he's just been going and making lunch appointments with some different people and just apologizing and just saying, hey, I want to work on a relationship with you. I want to get to know you a little bit more instead of just, you know, being frustrated with how you operate differently than me or whatever. And I just admire that. That's a lot of integrity and humility. Who do you admire that you need to, that you know possesses some different character traits than you that you just need to spend some time with and learn from? Who do you admire that has some different traits than you that you just need to spend some time with intentionally and learn from? When we come with that posture, that's when loving the other people in community gets exciting. And that's the kind of humble mindset that Christ is looking for in his church. As we come to communion today, I love that... um, what you know the symbols that Jesus chose but I love the loaf because the loaf is something that we share from together but it's filled with all kinds of ingredients right and all of those ingredients are necessary for the loaf to taste like the loaf tastes like (laughs) if you left out some things it wouldn't taste like it does And so we appreciate all the things that had to come together to represent Christ, right? We are all ingredients of the body of Christ here today. So as we come to this table, let's remember that in this act, we're we're, we're communicating a value of the diversity that we all bring here. And sometimes that's appreciating other people, sometimes that's appreciating yourself, that you are made in the image of God and you've got something valuable to share with us. And by holding back, we're missing out on Jesus. By staying quiet, staying over in your corner, (laughs) keeping yourself, you know, we're missing out on Jesus. Right? We all have to surrender to appreciate that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just your example of humility. Thank you so much that you just didn't pick 12 disciples who all thought the same, looked the same, had the same backgrounds and experiences and personalities. You knew that was going to be a train wreck if that happened. And you knew that we can really only learn to forgive and be forgiven, to love and be loved, to, to know and be known. In, in, in complexity and diversity. And so God, thank you for this community that you've called together to be Wellspring, that this is a family. We are brothers and sisters. We have to deal with the good and bad and the hard of, of all of us that all of us bring to the table. So grow us, God. Grow us in humility so that we can be like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble and in that way, learn to love one another more deeply in a way that, that
that wakes the world up and gets them curious about what it is about Jesus that makes very different people love one another. We give you this time of communion. Pray that you would deal with our hearts and however you're speaking to us this morning.